Sorites, my friend, are you alive? Are you with us? Or is just some zombie version in the Arbonus studio on this Arbonus podcast? Uh, at the moment, I'm still pretty good. I I, I drank a lot of uh, Coke, Red Bull, uh, coffee. Uh, so at the moment, I'm still feeling alive. But I have three podcasts today in total. So I don't know what's going to happen uh, during the day. Uh, I might become unconscious at some point, but uh, for our podcast, for the next 40 minutes or, or an hour, I think I have some energy in, in I, me. I think you just should make it clear that it's not like you started your day this morning. I mean, it's still kind of ongoing <laughs> day for you since yesterday, yeah, basically, yeah. right? Can it's you explain your, like, let's say, schedule when your day actually has started? Uh, well... Wednesday, I woke up as usual, like 11 or, or half past 11, something like that. Uh, usual stuff for me, you know. And yeah, I just had my uh, normal day. Uh, then, of course, uh, the EuroLeague playoffs, Ralgiris Barca game. Uh, after that, I, I went home as quickly as possible to catch up on uh, Manchester City Arsenal. After that, I had to watch Barcelona football team playing their second half with, with Rayo Vallecano. And then it was like 1 a.m. already. And my plan was to watch all the NBA games. So I figured that it's, it's pointless to go to sleep for, for a half an hour or 40 minutes. So I just waited until uh, Cleveland Cavaliers and New York Knicks started. And then I just watched all four games uh, this night. And... and I think it ended like at 8 a.m. I had my alarm clock set at 9.30 for our podcast. So again, I decided that it wouldn't help me to have one hour of sleep. So I haven't slept for almost 24 hours <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, it still feels like a very long Wednesday to me, even though it's already Thursday. But I just had to watch all the NBA action. It was just such an amazing night and, and I couldn't miss it. So yeah. Sorry if 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 I have some struggles during the podcast. Can you have so far? You look really good. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe you can. I mean, it's just that uh, I try to watch so much in different leagues, different sports, and it takes some time. And sometimes I have to sacrifice my sleep or something like that. And yeah, especially my personal life. <laughs> and especially right now that it's uh, playoffs time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean. On a normal day, I could like wake up, don't spoil the results, and and watch uh, watch it on on the on demand. But today it was impossible because I said, like I said, I have a very busy day. I have an NBA podcast as well, so I have to be prepared, and and it <laughs> wouldn't be possible for me to catch up uh, somehow. So I had to watch everything live. But I'll be all right. It's not the first time. It's not uh, Donatus was working with me last year during the Winter Olympics. When I had to adjust to a different time zone while being in Lithuania, so I can manage it. Hey, and since you watch all those NBA playoff games tonight, can you be real quick with your impressions about Bucks being eliminated uh, by the Heat in, in five? Yeah, I mean it's it's a shocker, really. I'm I'm still stunned by what happened, but you know it, it's not just about tonight's game. I mean, they were already down 
one free in the series, and uh, we must not forget that Yanis missed two games in this series. It obviously affected uh, the whole outcome. However, I mean, uh, they were in a good position to tie the series in, in Miami. Uh, they were up 10 in the fourth quarter, but uh, Jimmy Buckets was just unstoppable. I mean, it, probably what he did in game four was closest what I, from what I've seen to MJ in today's NBA. I'm talking about his 56-point uh, game. And today in game five, I mean, it was just a disaster. Honestly, I can't see how Coach Bud keeps his job after what he did tonight. It's it's just amateur mistakes. Like, um, I'm not even going to talk about them blowing a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter, how Eric Spolster outsmarted him with some really great... Uh, tactical decisions, but simple things like uh, after Butler made a, a game-tying shot, an amazing shot, even though you can say probably there oh, was a foul yeah. before that. Offensive foul. It was probably yeah, offensive foul. Probably I an offensive foul. So. It, it wasn't called, but still you have to give credit when a player makes a shot falling to the ground uh, in a game that that is a potentially a game to close the series. But then was, there was like half a second left and Coach Bud had a timeout. He didn't take the timeout. He didn't take the timeout. The game went to overtime. In the overtime, Miami Heat had a good run. They were up seven. He had two timeouts. He didn't take a timeout then when they were down seven with like less than two minutes to go. Somehow they had a chance because Middleton was fouled on a three-point shot. He made his his free throws. Yanis made a layup. They were down two. Uh, they made a stop, they grabbed the rebound, and they have one last possession to save their season. And he doesn't take a timeout again. He's probably thinking Giannis can run in the transition, but he doesn't. Um, and then everything stops. He has the opportunity to take the timeout when he sees that they're not doing anything good on the court. And in the end, Grayson Allen just ran the clock, and they didn't even have a shot to win or tie the game. And to me, it's uh, like a coaching disaster what happened uh, with with Coach Budenholzer in this in this game and in in the series in general. He was just out coached by Eric Spolstra. So these are my main takes. And Giannis is not the one to 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 blame for this, even though he missed thirteen free throws in the uh, in game five. So missing thirteen free throws is a is a lot. Is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> If he makes at least five or six of those, uh, they, they probably win the game because they were more or less in control during the second half. Uh, but but still, Yanis was injured. He missed two games in this series. To me, it seemed like they can still win three on a row. They can save their season. But yeah, it just didn't happen. And and all the credit goes to Coach Polstra, Jimmy Butler. He played like a superhero. And Bama Debye also really impressed me with his playmaking skills as a center. So, yeah, these are my takes from, from this uh, series. But it is, how can uh, 10, you know, having so many assistant coaches not telling you to take a timeout? That, that's what seems mind-boggling to me. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you have 0 0.5. Players 0 also, they can also take a timeout, no? So Yeah, they, they have 0 0.5, and they had one timeout left. And you, they could they could draw, draw up the sim, similar play to what the the, uh, the, the Heat did, yeah, you, you know, a lab. You at least have a shot at it. Yeah. 
it doesn't mean you're, you're going to make it, but you at least have an opportunity. The, ch the chances are slim. Let's yeah. say 5% maybe. But. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, NBA head coaches have like six assistant coaches sitting next to them. You have a bench full of experienced veteran players. You have experienced players on the court and they don't call a timeout. Um, I mean, quite the opposite happened actually in the Golden State Warriors, Sac Sacramento Kings game yeah. four, when Steph Curry called a timeout when they- Didn't have one. Exactly, because Steve Kerr decided to use his last one for a coach's challenge. Uh, so they were punished with a technical and, and uh, they lost possession of the ball and it basically cost them four points. And that game, could have been killed by uh, Harrison Barnes. Almost cost with it an a, open look. a dynasty there. Yeah, it could have been a different <laughs> series, but now we're talking about Warriors being up 3-2. So what's happening so far in the first round in the NBA is crazy, really. I didn't expect the New York Knicks to be so solid, uh, basically without Julius Randle, or, or at least with half-injured Julius Randle. Uh, of course, the main highlight is, is the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one seed, losing to number eight seed Miami Heat, which makes Heat the first franchise in NBA's history to win a playoff series after the play-in, after winning mm -hmm. uh, the play-in tournament. The Lakers will probably be the second one if they can close the series at home with uh, with Memphis. Yeah, I think, so I think it's only the sixth time in history uh, when an eighth seed beats number one. If I'm not mistaken, I think I, so. think I saw something on and Twitter. It should be the first time when they beat the number one seed in five. Or okay. the second time, I'm not so sure. But I mean, upsetting the number one seed is one thing, but in five. Mm -hmm. Do you see it as a failure? Do you see this buck season as a failure? Because Yanis was you asked the press conference, about right? Yes, I, I did see that uh, press conference bit. Um, I don't see it as Yanis' failure. I don't uh, see it affecting. Uh, I don't see it affecting his legacy or anything like that. He didn't fail as an athlete. But the Milwaukee Bucks as a team failed because their goal was to win another NBA title and they lost in the first round. Everybody was excited to see Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals just like last year. Uh, no, last year they were in the, in the second round. Anyway, uh, they were two best teams in the Eastern Conference during the regular season. And there cannot be any any excuses for what happened you cannot put uh, excuses on on middleton being injured for a long uh, part of the season Yanis missing two games in in the series or or anything like that i think coach Budenholzer just has to take responsibility for this and yes it's a failure it's not Yanis' failure i love what uh, how he answered the question yeah. but milwaukee bucks as a team failed they didn't reach their ultimate goal so yeah that's my opinion yeah. Okay. Can we jump? Okay. Probably before we start uh, talking about the yearly playoffs, uh, we have to explain why I'm here on Zoom and why your guys here in the studio. So I'm traveling uh, in Monaco right now to cover Monaco and Maccabi series. So I have to do this uh, podcast through Zoom. But since there was a lot of interesting action, the playoffs game one, we decided that it it would be shame to wait for Monday to discuss the first two games. So we want to share our hot uh, reactions. So welcome to our bonus podcast, everyone. Great to see you here. Uh, great to see Iritis in such a good mood, uh, despite having a sleepless night. Good <laughs> to see you, you here, August, with a lot of stuff going on in basket news, both on Lithuanian and English uh, edition. 
Um, this is an exciting time for basketball fans. And let's start from the, the most fresh uh, playoff matchup. Olympiakos beating Fenerbahce for the fifth time this year and also for the fifth time in double-digit uh, margin. I mean, uh, you kind of expected, I at least expected this series to go 3-0. and zero, And uh, I think Fenerbahce put up quite a good fight yesterday. I didn't see the whole game because I was covering the Jalegris and Barcelona matchup. But uh, we, I think we saw what we expected. Uh, and we criticized Isaiah Cannon for having, you know, struggling this season for not showing the same game that uh, we were used to seeing last year from him, but he had five three-pointers in the third quarter. But this shouldn't be as a surprise because he had his best two games in the regular season against who? Against the same team they're playing in the playoffs right now. So, uh, I mean, when I saw him hit the first three uh, in the transition in the first quarter, I was like, is is this going to happen again? it happened only in the second half, not as in the regular season matchups where Olympiacos had 26 and 30 point leads already in the second quarter. But uh, that was an amazing performance from him. Uh, also, you know, we saw what having Nick Kalatis in your team in the playoffs does. And I think it is a good example of how shooting, or in his case, uh, non shooting, is exposed more and more each year in Euroleague playoffs. We saw last year Barcelona, last two years, Barcelona was struggling with him basically being a non-factor in offense, uh, playing four and five. And uh, you could compare Barcelona, Barcelona's game yesterday, how fluid their offense was against, you know, Jalgeris, that is, which defense is similar to what Bayern and, and Zenit offered before. And you can see what Fenerbahce, what troubles they had yesterday with basically every time uh, Olympiakos helping from him and and covering these these driving gaps for for other players. So it's going to be interesting to see how he do this, you know, adjusts maybe how he puts puts uh, Kalatis in maybe other areas on the floor. So I think these are my two main takeaways from from this game. Yeah, life would be much easier with a healthy Scotty Wilbekin for Fenerbahce, for sure. But another thing... Uh, Do you play maybe Carson Edwards more, you know? I was thinking about it. I saw some people on Twitter also saying that, but I am not so sure. He's a EuroLeague rookie. We saw how, how, how he struggled in the regular season. I'm not so sure he can really have a huge influence in a playoff series against such a solid team like Olympiakos. Uh, another thing... I don't really see how uh, Fenerbahce can stop Mustafa Fall. He's just too big and too strong for them, and and he does a lot of damage in the paint. So yeah, I mean they started they started Jakiri to yeah. match up against him, but uh, just like we saw him last year in, against Monaco, exactly, you know, just exactly. Having, having these stints where he is dominating the floor. Monaco had same problems. Motiuna suffered, Donta Hall suffered, they just suffered because Mustafa Fall is so strong and so big, and he's also a pretty good passer. If you double him, he can pass the ball to an open teammate. Uh, yeah, of course, Olympiakos is a huge favorite. They protected their home court in the first game, but I'm still not ruling out Fenerbahce from this series. 
as we know, it's it's very simple. When you play the first two games away, you are happy with a split. So it's gonna be a huge huge game for Fenerbahce on on Friday. Uh, they are still in it. Uh, let's see what the Tudis can offer mm. in in game two. Because also, you know, you mentioned foul, and it was you see those pick and rolls with Kalatis, and they are basically giving giving him the floater, and they are happy with him shooting either a free mid range or a floater. Mustafa Fall is protecting the paint, protecting the roles of of Jakiri, of Motley, and you know not giving Nick the option to pass there. So uh, I want to see the adjustments. I want to see how Fenerbahce react, and you know a good game plan for one game could yeah. could give you the split, and then it's an open series. So it's like what happened again you you mentioned the series with monaco last year so monaco basically went through this path they had a split in greece then they had a split in monaco and they they played a game five so i i still think that fenerbahce can uh, can be competitive in this series uh, but it's a very good point what you said about non-shooting players and i would say non-shooting playmakers and ball handlers in particular and it's not just about the guards I can once again take an example from 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 NBA and what's happening right now in the playoffs. Like Domonta Sabonis has the most touches uh, in in the Sacramento Kings team. He's their leading uh, player in assists. He's basically their main playmaker, even though he's a center. But now in the series where coaches pay much more attention to scouting and detail, he's getting the Ben Simmons treatment, <laughs> and it's so yeah. hard for him to influence the game when he's basically not being guarded. He's not a good poster player, and and he just struggles uh, to create or to score. And Nick, as a point guard, is in a similar position. We know he's a great passer, but if it's not in the open court, if it's a set offense and he cannot make shots, that's a problem for the whole team. During the regular season, when he started 9-1, right? Something like that, 9-1. Kalaitis had like almost 50%. Even more. At one point, I think it was more than fifty percent. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, that's that's what we're thinking here in in Vilnius. What do you think there <laughs> in, in in Monaco? <laughs> do you think Fenerbahce can can make it a good series? I mean, before the series, I predicted them uh, taking one game uh, in the series, basically because I, I thought that uh, defensively, in a lot of situations, except from center position, uh, they can match up. Olympiacos and cause them problems. But I mean, when they're missing bodies, when they're missing players like Wilbekin, when they have Calaitis suffering, when they have Dorsey scoreless, it's it's impossible to beat uh, this Olympiacos team. But although I think that, I, okay, I didn't watch uh, the entire first half. I watched only the second half because of Jalgiri's game. It looked like, you know, did a good job, you know, uh, being close to Olympiacos. But uh, watching Olympiacos in the third quarter, I had this... This is a team from another level moment. I don't know if they have this official slogan, like this is Olympiacos. But I mean, the moment was when, uh, let's say there was a possession where Olympiacos destroyed Fenerbahce defense on perimeter. They drive, they started kicking the ball out to find open man on the three-point line. Uh, Fenerbahce tried to do, to rotate defensively. They kind of did a nice job, but still, Bezenkov got the ball beyond the arc in a great position to shoot for Vezenkov, being one of the most reliable spot-up shooters on the team, having a great game against Fenerbahce, it was like a, a great look to score a three-pointer. 
But he sees Isaiah Cannon on the corner. He knows that he's hot. I think that he already made like four or five trees. So he gives an extra pass to Cannon, although he had all the conditions to shoot that ball. And Cannon sings the tree. I mean, nothing spectacular, but one simple play defines the team chemistry, the IQ uh, of the players, and what makes this Olympiakos team just special. Uh, th- this is something which you know separates them from being great team. This is the elite team level. And then Cannon, I mean, having this ba- big game, this is another story of Olympiakos, and I would emphasize Yorgos Bartsokas this time, because as Augustas mentioned, throughout the whole season, everybody, including us, we were questioning if Cannon can fill uh, Tyler Dorsey's shoes. Number-wise, it looked like he was not delivering, season was going, and you couldn't say that you know he replaced Tyler Dorsey. Dorsey was kind of back and forth on the market, so we were kind of suggesting uh, suggesting that Olympiakos should make a move, you know, to improve their you know title chances. But the thing is that Bartsokas never questioned Cannon. He always was patient with him, and he remained calm. Although others already made their conclusions, and then the playoff time comes. There's this tight game against Fenerbahce. There's this tight uh, first half. Third quarter comes, and Cannon hits five threes, finishing with 18 points on six of seven shooting. He made, I look at the stats, I mean, he made six threes in the last 10 yearly games combined since February 3rd. And it was only his fifth double uh, scoring, uh, double-digit scoring game uh, this season. And he does that in the matchup against Tyler Dorsey, who finishes the game scoreless. I mean, it's, it's a special storyline. And I really believe that this confidence in Cannon, this, this belief in Cannon from Bartsokas, Somehow it affects uh, players to perform uh, at that level in the crucial moments of, of the season. So it was, I, I just had those two this is Olympiakos uh, moments watching that game. Yeah, it's a great point about uh, their team chemistry. Everybody is so unselfish in that team. Nobody cares about their individual performances. It's, it's all about the team. And now we're talking about Canon hitting those shots. Maybe in game two, we will be talking about Shaq Makisic, Janulis Larenzakis, or any other role player uh, having a huge performance. Uh, that's what they did during the whole season. Uh, we can remember that they had some periods without Slukas. Okay, Thomas Walkup stepped up, uh, Papa Nikolaou stepped up, Makisic stepped up, and now it's a playoff series. We're talking about Fenerbahce like three or four key players must deliver for them to win. And in Olympiakos, they are not so dependent on Vezenkov putting up 20 points, 10 rebounds every single night. They are not so dependent on Slukas uh, getting a double-double in points and and assists. It's just all about the team. And uh, so far, Olympiakos has been the best team in Europe, in my opinion. I mean, of course, uh, in EuroLeague is like... um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, it's it's like a, a very tough tournament because of the Final Four. You can be the best team and lose one game and that's it. But from what we've seen so far, they, they, they're definitely playing best basketball. Give me your thoughts and feelings about Kevin Punter making his best Damien Lillard impression. It's not Dame. It's it's. Of course, <laughs> I mean, it's KD. Let's be let's be honest, and uh, it's not the first time the comparison comes up. Actually, 
early in the season when Partizan faced Jalgiris and Punter got hot, I said that Jalgiris right now, uh, they're dealing with an undersized Kevin Durant. And the release is very similar. Number seven, his name is Kevin. I mean... <laughs> Loves to go left and pull up. Exactly. Kudos, uh, so by the that, way, kudos, kudos to our social media team making this meme the uh, home alone uh, movie and Kevin Punter sinking the game. <laughs> oh, winner. yeah, that was. I didn't see that. That but was nice. Yeah, sounds 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 good. Uh, so, I mean, that chat is just what elite players do. What else to be said? Like Kevin Punter is a killer, and he was terrorizing Madrid throughout the whole game. It's not just about the game winner; it's about the whole game, and. One thing is Kevin Punter being, at the moment, probably the best scorer in Europe. But the other thing is Jelko Bradovic being the best coach in Europe. And the way they started the game with Smilagic <laughs> popping three out of three, you could see that they will do that against Eddie Tavares. I mean, that was August, so August yeah. it actually. They, they the did it in the, in the second game. And, you know, just for Lesor, like... Playing against Real Madrid is probably the worst matchup he could have gotten from all of the out eight teams. But there you have Alan Smilagic, the perfect, you know, kryptonite for Walter Tavares. And it's hard to shoot over that guy, even though Zelko's schemes creates you so much space. You know, he's popping. Alexa Ramovic from the 45 is cutting, you know, burn, burn cutting to open up the space for his pop. And even though there is still like two, three meters of space already, that it's still too, too hard to shoot over Tavares. He hits three of three, and even though he fouls out quick, you know, in the first half and in the second half, he's plus 16 in 11 minutes in a game that finishes a two-point win yeah. for Partizan. So huge factor. You could have expected this, just like how you could have expected, you know, Punter's greatness and Gabriel Deck dominating i wow. mean if punter doesn't hit that shot yeah. you we are talking about man gabriel deck is elite player and and we should talk about him more but he just does it so without emotion probably and, and so casually, casually yeah. that we are not you know giving him probably enough love i, and I think attention. his body strength is unmatched in in euroleague i mean and he's facing zach leday doesn't seem like he has any advantage. It's not a mismatch, but he's just going straight at him, finishing through contact and one. I think I think that's an advantage, you know. Actually, I mean, before the series, I'm talking they said, about like size advantage. Oh yeah, it's not a size yeah, advantage. Yeah, it's, um, not, it's I a mean, quickness yeah, advantage. He's obviously quicker, but it's not a size. He's going straight at him, yeah. body to body. That's what I'm saying. Like his his body strength is 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 unmatched. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he he was the best player for Madrid in the in the game, obviously. And, and you know, going forward in the series, he will be Madrid's main point of attack. I think you Partizan is matched terribly against him. Like Nunnally and Papa Petru are not tall enough, not strong enough. And Lide, you know, deck over overpowers him with the combination of speed and strength, you know, together. And you, we saw him hit a mid-range jumper. We saw him hit a three when Lide gives him the shot. So I'm really interested to see if Zelko, uh, how he approaches the second game, the third yeah. game. Do they start doubling? Because 
he was playing basically one-on-one -on -one from three-point line if he received the ball there. Just backs down Nanali Papapetro, scores two points. I don't know if this is going to be good, you know, these easy points for Jelko going forward. But talking about punter, going back to punter, um, his play and matchup against Janan Musa in the last three minutes, I think we have to talk about it. I mean, do you think that was an obvious foul not called against him when he scored a three plus one? I don't because think so. Because he shoves Janan Musa in my eyes. That's an offensive foul. Okay, you can say that. But at the same time, Janan Musa in a playoff game has no right to lay on the ground for I three agree. seconds. I agree with you. And and yeah. just pretend like he was hit <laughs> in the face or something like that. Doing his best Neymar impression. Oh, you didn't get the call. Stand up and play defense. Your teammates True. are jumping from one man to another because you're just laying on the ground. And then Williams Gaz runs with desperation towards Kevin Punter to contest the shot and it ends up with with a free and one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we can talk about an offensive foul that was not called, but Janan Musa has no right to be on the ground when his teammates are working their asses off defending. Completely agree. And another thing with Musa, I mean, the the way yeah. he flopped for a, for a foul on a three-point shot and yeah. got a call as a loose ball foul and and sent punter to the line that was a ridiculous play yeah that was really a ridiculous Janan Musa he was probably the most consistent player for Madrid during the regular season but he kind of let his team down in the end of that game in my opinion i think uh, he he and uh, Hazonia were rushing a bit too much into the shots in the first half if you remember you know, Partizan sometimes is playing this aggressive defense, the next defense when they come from yeah. the next man. So Musa thinks he has space, but then he sees another defender, he still tries to force the shot. Or he tries to play this fake handoff and instead not giving the ball, drive to the basket by himself. Dante Exum, great job on defense, taking two charges in a row. Mario Hezonia also commit one charge. So I think... These two guys were trying to do a bit too much against the aggressive defense of Partizan. And uh, yeah. it, it was uh, a great sequence by Partizan when they uh, had trouble scoring in the first half, but they got three or four stops in, in, the, in that sequence for, for their defense. So Raul did not get away too much in the first half. I still have a few talking points, but I want to hear what Donatus think, thinks about this game one. I mean... It you're about to cover all this stuff uh, I, I thought about uh, talking about. Uh, I mean, for Musa, I believe, you know, watching him match up against Kevin Punter and Punter hitting all those daggers, you know, playing amazing basketball and the other side of the floor, I just saw the lack of experience and maturity, I would say. I think it's this game one specifics and also it was the first playoff game for Jalan Musa and, and to meet such an opponent like Partizan it's also a huge challenge for for a young kid he, I would still you know by EuroLeague standards he's a, a young kid uh, who has this problem or this challenge of being sometimes a hot-headed player so I believe it goes down to his lack of experience playing, you know, such an important uh, games like this. And of course, matching up with the Kevin Punter, who was playing uh, an amazing game. And uh, for sure, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it was very bad. I mean, flopping, 
not kind of flopping, but just staying on the ground for, for so long, then trying to found this foul offensively. It, it was just signs of immaturity. And I, I believe that this game one experience will be a huge lesson for Jalan Musa. I have no doubts that he will learn from this, but that that's what I thought uh, watching him play. And watching Kevin Punter play, I thought that I wish I was his agent because, I mean, he's a guy on an expiring contract. And, I mean, I, I believe that he's a 2 million player uh, easily in, in the market. And if I'm Partizan, I don't know what are my chances to keep him because even though Partizan really stepped up financially, I don't know if they can afford having him close to 2 million. I mean, they might get him for a lower price because of his connection with Jelko Bradovic, uh, because of his status in, in Partizan team, being the captain of the club. This is something big, but I mean, if the difference will be huge, it's not going to be easy to keep him. And it just depends on who is also going to be on the market. And of course, if I'm a big team, I, no matter who I have on my roster, I try to get Kevin Punter because he's, he's just an elite, not just because of his skill, but his off-the-court uh, leadership, not the vocal leadership, I would say, but he's uh, setting a great example, being a true pro with his approach, uh, the way he approaches the practices, uh, the professionalism, it's, it's, it's all there. And... I mean, I look at the table, I see Barcelona and Corey Higgins sitting on the bench uh, during the playoffs again for the consecutive season. There's this Olympiacos thing, right, Cannon had this amazing game, but uh, and I'm not sure if they have capabilities of bringing another superstar player like uh, Kevin Punder in the free agency. Uh, there, then there's Real Madrid, but they kind of have Janan Musa, so I'm not sure if they could go after him. Uh, Monaco, with Three-star level guards already. Maccabi, they already kind of uh, all set. Um, Milan, I mean, if I'm Milan, I would I would apologize to Kevin Punter. He, they should have uh, kept for, him in the first place. Come on, for not keeping him, I would apologize him with giving a big bag of money, you know, just to come back and to uh, to save their offense. So, I'm also very intrigued about this part of uh, his performance. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, I, I like I said I still have a few talking points about the game. Uh, well, first of all, obviously Eddie Tavares got hurt, but surprisingly it didn't turn out to be a huge problem for Madrid because Yabusele had a good game uh, as a five and it worked out pretty well. However, at the moment when I watched the game, I was thinking if that's a serious injury, they're in trouble because their backup center, Wenzel Poirier, is also out for a while. And as deep as Madrid is, losing key player like Eddie Tavares could cost them the series. But uh, as as we heard, this, the injury is not that serious and he's probably going to be available for game two. And the other thing is, well, obviously, for Partizan, the plan was always to be in the game and have a chance uh, keeping, the, keeping the score close and maybe have a chance to win with a buzzer beater as it happened so it went according to their plan even though Madrid had a seven point lead in the fourth quarter and when a game goes like this every small detail matters and I have a lot of respect for Rudy Fernandez but I if I was the coach of Madrid I would want to see Rudy Fernandez guarding Exum one-on-one in such an important possession Rudy is 37 or 38 years old. In and his defense, he had a great sequence of 
couple of plays defensive he did. at the start of the quarter. He did. I agree with you, but... But not in the end. It pains me to see Rudy Fernandez guarding such an athletic player like Dante Exum while Mario Hazonio is on the bench. And it's again happening in the last minutes of the game where you can make those substitutions, defense, offense. Chus Mateo had problems with it during the regular season in some games. I can remember Chacho guarding Shane Larkin in a in a very important possession after a timeout. And it sort of happened again. And I'm not blaming Rudy for that. He put a lot of effort to stop Dante Exum. It's just that Exum has huge steps and such incredible physicality that sometimes he's just unstoppable. But uh, to me, I'm thinking that Hezonia is a much better defender and, and he could do a better job in a situation like this. So again, uh, Real Madrid gave Exums and one, punters free and one, and, and basically, yeah, th that's what decided the outcome of the game. Partizan had the last shot and it was up to Jelko to decide whether he wants to um, take the shot earlier in case if they miss to have a chance to foul and, and, and somehow save the game. But he went with a full possession, keep the ball, give it to your best player and trust his abilities to score. And and Punter did a great job creating some space with that crossover. Yabusele, again, he also did what he can, in my opinion. But that but that there it's I mean, depends Punter's only on Punter. Punter is yeah. just too good. I mean, you cannot blame Yabusele for that uh, shot. Jelko got what he wanted, you know. Yabuzele is not elite. He's good, but he's not elite. You know, partisan were looking for him. And uh Kevin Punter, when he's going to the left, he's pulling up. He you are at his mercy. Yeah. Uh there will be a video out about this game uh, later today. And I found uh, game winners from Punter. And, uh, you know, partisan fans might not like it, but he had hit an identical shot with Zvezda jersey three years ago against Asvel. Same isolation play, a crossover right to left, one dribble, and he is pulling up over the big guy. Identical shot. So, you know, that's his go-to move. He said it himself. I've been doing it since, since seven years old. I'm practicing yeah. that shot. So, you know, if it's your move, it's basically in the end... If it's not the best defense of, you know, this season, it depends only on punter. And, you know, talking about the whole series, it will be interesting to see, you know, who wins or a better talent from Madrid or a better deeper coaching, roster. deeper roster of Madrid or better coach with clear ideas. Because this is a series where I think it's going to be, uh, all games are going to be really similar. You know, teams already know which places to attack, you know, through deck, through Yabuzeli in the post, uh, through Tavares maybe if he is if he is healthy, and uh, Partizan knows where to attack also, you know, with Punter attacking Tavares, with Smilagic, uh, with Lazort they had trouble scoring from half from half court, so which uh, plan works better? Yeah, Wh which coach can adjust and you know maybe little details some new wrinkles throughout the series. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, or players or a coach. So I'm really intrigued. For me, this is the most interesting series. I'm predicting a five-game series, honestly. It's easy to predict that Madrid is going to tie the series today, although 
who knows what's going to happen. Partisan will play without any pressure because they basically did what they had to do uh, yeah. this week already. They won the first game in Madrid. But I, I think that with so much experience, uh, Madrid is mm. capable of winning in Stark Arena, even though there's going to be like 60,000 people or 100,000 people. I don't know. It's going to be like Maraca- Maracana <laughs> during, I don't know what, during the World Cup in Brazil. Yeah, it's going to be crazy for sure. I mean, it's not like not only a sold out, it's like a sold it's, out on top of a sold out. It's probably I don't something know like that. To, how to get tickets to that game. But I'm, I have yeah. Partizan in four, uh, okay. so I'm sticking with, with this opinion. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see today's game. And you had uh, Monaco in, in four and five as well, right? For the series. Monaco, Monaco in five. And I also had Monaco in five, but I, I, I said when I made a prediction that right now my mind says that Maccabi is in a much better situation and they should win the series in four. But then my heart says that Monaco, uh, since I kind of cheered for them during the whole season, can win it and can make it to the final four. So I said Monaco in five, but with that shooting, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> I, I, like I said, 30, 20 or 30 minutes ago, bad shooting is exposed in the playoffs. I mean, not bad shooting, bad spacing, you know, not having yeah. enough floor stretchers. You can have the best backward in the world or second best, you know. We are tr- having <laughs> this Europe. battle of, of the best backwards in this series. You're going to have amazing perimeter players, but if they are guarded by two or three people on every possession and basically right. on every drive, they see six hands around them, they cannot, it's hard to make shots and other guys are not doing that. Four of 26, that's... well. I do Awful. agree with you, and and that's a big problem for Monaco. But in my opinion, there were plenty of open looks from Okobo, Lloyd, and James. They're good shooters. I'm not talking about Blossom Game or Diallo. There could be some nights when they hit those shots, those corner frees, but they're not uh, very consistent shooters. Maccabi probably will take Blossom Game uh, shooting like six or seven frees per game. But uh, there were so many open looks. Uh, Elio Kobo lost his confidence. I calculated calculated at least eight really wide open shots that Monaco missed. And I think that's huge. And it's not like Blossom game or or Matiunas was just taking those shots. I mean, Okobo, Lloyd, it was... Okay, Mike James, he got a different treatment. He didn't have basically any open looks. So even he had to force some shots, you know, to 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 to, to get a shot, to get a better shot to score from the three. But but yeah, they were in a situation to score, and basically a couple or a three, four uh, three pointers out of these open looks combined yeah. with some tough shots. I mean, yeah. they could have changed the game immediately. And on the opposite side of the floor, you see Wade Baldwin, you know, making the off board three pointer. So. <laughs> That that should hit your head really heavy when you're on your worst shooting night the entire season. I mean, four out of 26, 15% of shooting percentages is just ridiculous. And it was possible to predict that it could be a problem for Monaco during the series because during the regular season, they were the worst three-point shooting team. Uh, but they compensated for it with, with uh, other things that they, they do on the court. Uh, however, in my opinion, Maccabi didn't even play such a good game, honestly. No. 
They didn't. But it was just offensively, yeah. Uh, I mean, defensively, they were fine, but a lot was down to Monaco missing shots. And Monaco was staying in the game just because of free throws. But after the first half, I was thinking, Monaco missed all of their three-pointers and they're, they're down by three? Yeah. that That's a good position to be in. And I expected them to start making some shots, but Maccabi made a run in the third quarter, they built a lead, and they kept it in the fourth quarter because when these two teams played each other uh, during the regular season, uh, Maccabi at home dominated the fourth quarter, Monaco at home dominated the fourth quarter. It didn't happen this time. And I think Monaco, as a club, has to um, do something about the Maccabi fans, the Maccabi support. (laughs) <laughs> because they were shooting to the basket uh, where they have their own fans in the first half. But in the second half, they were shooting to the basket with Maccabi fans uh, behind it. And it's probably not a coincidence that Mike James uh, made only two from six shooting free throws while Maccabi fans were chanting some but, bad, bad words towards him. So you know, other uh, players, other players didn't miss. They 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 missed seven free throws out of twenty eight. Yeah. and so. But your best player missed. But your so, best player. I, I mean, mean why is he having that's problem, a problem? Man. And and <laughs> I'm just thinking, is it possible to arrange somehow that they would shoot to that basket in the first half, and shoot to the other I'll in have the to second? Ask, I'll have to ask it yeah. or even to make this uh, suggestion because it makes sense <laughs> because. The fun, actually, the funny part is that Monaco was probably the most generous team and the host for the away team fans because Jargadis fans had huge problems of getting tickets to Barcelona game. A lot of uh, tickets and, and reservations were cancelled. Kind of the same happened, happened with Madrid, but of course, Serbians, they are smart. They always find a way how to get in and they actually created a nice atmosphere. And Monaco was probably the most generous team because they... Uh, find an agreement for letting in 580 fans to the gym of like 5,000 capacity. This is a nice percentage of fans that you're allowing to your gym. And then they're getting this treatment with Mike James, you know, getting these fans screaming at him like, fuck you, Mike James uh, chants and and stuff like that. So I didn't want to say it out loud, but yeah. Thank you, Donatus. Yeah, and Mike obviously, Mike, Mike heard it actually. It, it so, was impossible not to hear. If, if I heard it on a broadcast, then of course he heard it being uh, being it there. Felt, it felt it felt like the game was played in the neutral court, uh, or it was kind of you know some 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 cup tournament game with both team uh, fans yeah. visiting the yeah, arena. And so games games three and four will be played in a neutral camp as well. So good luck for Monaco <laughs> beating that. I mean, now, nah, but they must win. Uh, must win today, today to, I to mean. save the series. Because if you go to Tel Aviv being down 0-2, it's, no, it's no, basically no. Do- yeah. it's it's done. So I, they I must think, win. I this think game they tonight. will win. I think they they will bounce back because you cannot shoot worse than that. Yeah, first of all, yeah. the second thing is that I think that some of the players they had some mentality issues approaching the game one. I mean. Elio Kobo was was in a great shape uh, recently in the in the last couple of months, emerging as a potential new franchise player, even maybe over uh, Mike yeah. James, giving his skill, youth, and his potential. And then it felt like he missed some nice looks. I mean, the ball was like almost going in, and then he he came out. He missed some nice layups uh, with the space he created uh, through the contact, 
And it felt like that Ellie took himself out of the game. I mean, I, I don't remember an elite player kind of already giving up on the game in the end of the third quarter. And especially yeah. they hurt a lot Monaco defensively. I mean, basically, Lorenzo Brown, Wade Baldwin, they were going just through him uh, and they killed uh, Monaco's defense, whether with floaters, mid-range jumpers, I mean, attacking yeah. the, uh, the rim from their sweet spots or just, you know, passing lobs and, and, and dishing those assists to the to big. So I think it was a, mm, I would say, huge mental mistake or huge me- mental issue that Okobo faced because Lloyd also had an awful game, but it's because he had some health issues. He barely practiced yeah. in the last uh, week or two. He lost a lot of weight, significant weight, so he was not himself, but I kind of get it. But at the same time, Okobo is playing 35 minutes. Lloyd, everybody knows that Lloyd is not in his best shape. He's playing 25 minutes. If I'm Obradovich, I would try to think of some, you know, implementing some other guys to step up or even to, you know, to, to, to try to throw the uh, taller floor, uh, taller guys on the floor, you know, play the bigger lineup. Because, for instance, Alpha Diallo had an amazing second quarter. I mean, he was both very aggressive, attacking the ball, and defensively, he did a nice job and was important. He basically took Wade Baldwin, you know, out of his control, I would say. Wade Baldwin was very close to losing his mind in the end of the second quarter. First of all, there was this unsportsmanlike foul where actually I saw the play, I saw the clear play. I think that Wade Baldwin was the first to elbow or just push Alpha Diallo. Alpha just, you know, he, he, he came back and refs, they just saw this move by Alpha Diallo and and Wade Baldwin also fall, although I think it was a good, you know, a good acting. But anyways, Alpha did a great job, you know, of trying to to make Wade Baldwin out of his uh, control. And the third quarter starts, I see Alpha Diallo on the bench. And Maccabi makes a run, Alpha Diallo comes back, and Monaco is already down by more than 10 points. So I think it was also important for the momentum of the game because from from that point uh, monaco basically never recovered he's the only monaco player that is uh in the plus category in the positive category in in plus minus yeah plus one in 23 minutes but he uh had five fouls so but you know uh Jordan Lloyd could be a very important player in the series. He was their best performer against Maccabi in both regular season games. Uh, of course, he's not in his best shape right now, but I always have confidence in these experienced players to make it happen when it matters the most. So that's why I trust also Coach Obradovic uh, in game two. But the thing is that for Obradovic, it's obviously very tempting to play his free guards against Maccabi because when Maccabi subbed out Bonzi Carlson, they don't really have a big body at, uh, at at the third position, and it makes it possible for you to play Lloyd, James, and Okobo all together. And I get it that it's very tempting. You see uh, those struggles offensively, you see all those missed shots, and you're thinking, I need to put my three best offensive players on the same lineup right now. And I get what, what Sasha's trying to do, because if they play Hilliard uh, as a free, it's not a mismatch defensively. No. Uh, only when Bonzi Carlson is on the court, you might have a mismatch that therefore you need to play Alpha or or Blossom game at the third position. And maybe during this series, we will see some minutes of Yakuba Utarayev. He's healthy. Uh, if if you remember last year against Olympia Cause, he did a huge job defensively and also made some spot-up shots, which was important at the time. 
uh, yeah, but I, I mean, we're talking a lot about Monaco and their problems. Maybe we should talk more about the winning team, Maccabi. Can I make the last point yeah, about Monaco? For uh, sure. And then we can, I also had some Monaco notes. I, I want to see if, you know, maybe Monaco go to an even smaller lineup. Jump around at, to at improve. five? John, I, w- I would say it doesn't matter who is at the five, but, you know, maybe, you know, Alpha Diallo at the four playing. Just to have more shooting, you know, because if this bad shooting continues, if this streak of uh, missed freeze continues, maybe, you know, Diallo at the four, just like Dwayne Bacon last year yeah. at the four, it was really successful. Obviously, yeah. Bacon gave you, you know, isolation plays, one-on-one, tough shots. Uh, but then Diallo has down. to shoot. But then Diallo has to shoot, because, I agree. Because he had yeah. so many... Uh, he was hesitating so much. Yeah. Yeah. He was hesitating. He, he was wide open like three all. or four times, and then he decided not to take the shot and penetrate yeah. instead. So Sasha Bradovich, in that case, should have a clear message to his players. Yeah. I don't care about how many shots you missed in the past. If you're open, you shoot. It's, it's just that simple. But yeah, talking about Maccabi, um, well, first of all, uh, Lorenzo Brown started kind of slow, and it was Wade Baldwin's night. Uh, and then they just found players at the right time. Like, for example, when Monaco, Monaco was trying to get back in the game, Darren Hillard steps up and makes two huge frees. Josh Nebo all of a sudden became a huge factor in the second half, playing all these pick-and-rolls. Man, that was such a great game by him. I wanted to mention yeah, him. Please do. I mean, the guy almost hits his head <sighs> to the side of the backboard. That that catch in the second Had a half double was something amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That was something from out of this world. Uh, just his presence in the paint. I mean, his jumping ability, his rim protecting ability yeah. is, uh, is something out of this world. I think he played a huge part. Perfect from the field. Um, obviously, it is the easiest shots yeah. in the world. But he also hit uh, one floater. Uh, he did that, a good that, job that, that protecting also, the rim as well. Yeah, so... Great game for him, and I wanted to shout out John Bartolomeo as yes, well. Yes, my man, I the mean, captain. He is playing amazing in the second half of the season. Crazy energy, heart of the team, just gets under the skin of any guard that's, yeah. that's in front of him, sets the tone with his energy, and this is what's happening when you're playing away. Yeah. When you see the same attitude in, uh, in at, Tel- at Tel Aviv, those fans get crazy. If he hits a couple of frees, you know, the atmosphere gets lit. The team yeah. sees the example. And, you know, the co- the coaches always say, point guards set the tone on defense because you are the first guy that guards the ball, usually. So if you are that aggressive as Bartolomeo, you know, for others, it's easy to follow. His impact in the third quarter was huge. And Monaco... This season, they are the best team of taking care uh, take, taking care of the ball. They have uh, least turnovers. But all of a sudden, in the third quarter, Di Bartolomeo forces like three turnovers in a row with his energy, effort, and, and hustle plays. And he can sacrifice for the team. He he can take fouls. He doesn't care about that. He's a true captain of the team. And it's, it's good that you mentioned him because I had it on my mind as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so exactly. Kataj just found players at the right, right time. And it's also a good thing for Maccabi that Poitras is back in the rotation. And he had some solid minutes as well. So now uh, Kataj will have a better rotation with his bigs. He has Sorkin, he has Nebo, he has Poitras, he has uh, Cohen. 
so many options. And Maccabi is in a great position right now. They are leading and they already know whether they win or lose today, they have the possibility to not go back to Monaco, to close it in Tel Aviv. And that's what they wanted because they're the best home team uh, this season. Katash also deserves the credit for preparing this game plan, forcing Mike James to kick the ball out uh, as, as much as possible. As Ogi said, you know, trying to yeah. put the ball in the hands of the players who has they a lower shooting percentage. Yeah. Exactly. And just, just, you know, to make him get rid of the ball, to avoid him shooting the three-pointers and to take those gambles that paid off uh, with so many missed shots. And it, it was actually, I mean, it's rare when you enter the locker room and you make those uh, post-game interviews it's rare to hear in the first statement uh, from the player, it's, it was rare uh, experience to hear basically every player saying this, this win, this, this achievement goes uh, for the coach, first of all. All the credits for him because, for instance, Darun Hillard said that Maccabi was preparing to play the defense this way the whole week, even in the Israeli league games. They were preparing for, for this kind of Mike James treatment. And it felt like, you know, Maccabi was a better prepared team for the game one experience. But at the same time, I believe that, again, Monaco will do their adjustments and it's time for Sasha Bradovic to, you know, to continue this uh, chess match. But what is hard to respond is the chemistry that Maccabi has. You mentioned guys like Di Bartolomeo, George Nibo, Poitras playing this his first Euroleague game after a long uh, break. Even Cohen, I mean... Everybody coming off the bench, it feels like they have their clear roles. They give all their hearts to fulfill these roles. They all feel important in this team. And they all bring in this, you know, energy, chemistry. They don't care about the points they're going to score. They, I mean, this is a rare unity that you see in the EuroLeague. And, you know, we, we just discussed Olympiacos, the unity that they have. Uh, and I, I see some nice tendency in Maccabi uh, recently and on the opposite side and at least in game one I didn't see uh, any kind of you know chemistry from Monaco side you know uh, supporting each other being there having guys like the Bartolomeo you know fighting their asses off uh, trying not to survive uh, not to surrender in the end of the third quarter so I believe that Monaco also has to do this mental adjustment bench players have to be more active the team has to be more vocal and, you know, they cannot uh, let their hands down I, so early. I partially agree with you, but at the same time, I'm trying not to overanalyze and overcomplicate things. To me, it looks just as simple as make some shots and avoid some sloppy turnovers that happened in the third quarter. Make some shots and you're good. If Maccabi plays more or less the same game that they played on, on Tuesday, you can beat them as long as you make shots. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for that's sure. That's for sure. And but on, yeah, on, okay. on top of on top of making those shots, I mean, Monaco still has to do some some yeah, mental well, adjustments. You, at least. You, you're there in Monaco; you have a better feeling probably about about that, and you see the bench reactions and everything. Uh, you're you're closer to to the action, but and I mean, I, and I, it's not I'm like still... and and it's not like that they have some locker room problems that yeah. may look actually watching them on TV. Yeah, I mean, they're good; everything is fine. It's just that they don't have that kind of the same, you know chemistry yeah. or energy that Maccabi has and in tough moments it really boosts the team I just think they today they just need in the very first possession that nice feeling of ball going through the net 
And if you make your first shot, it might be a good night for them. But you cannot win in today's basketball shooting four from 26. It's almost impossible. Get some easy shots, get your players going. And in Obradovic's defense, if he needs any, uh, last year he were ma- he and his coaching staff were making great adjustments yeah. in the series against Olympiakos. So I expect to see some of that today. And I expect Monaco to even the series. I expect actually to have a long series, maybe even a game five. We're, but, we're still... But- but we'll staying see. with our takes. Maccabi is in a great position. Yeah, Maccabi is in I a great position. That, and I love true. both of these teams. So either way, I'm happy that one of them will be in the final four. So one hour has passed. Do you want Donatas to talk about the, the last game? I think we talked about everything. I think no, that's I, I, enough, all, right? the, all the playoff games. We've covered all the, last the playoff one games, was... NBA, EuroLeague. What else, what, what else is there to talk about? I actually picked Maccabi in five and I, I received... Uh, I I don't know how to call it friendly or funny middle finger treatment for Mike James <laughs> <laughs> for that kind of choice. So so yeah, I I, I at least so he's I not coming to the pod anymore. I guess no. He said that he's gonna talk to me after game five. So I'm good. I'm okay. good. Oh, so he knows because he's going to game five. Either way, either way. I mean, the reporter. If, if by lose, the way, I have him. So by the way, the reporter that did the TV interviews. Uh, after the game uh, had a second question for Sasha Bradovich and said there are four more games still right? four more games there is something we don't know maybe Sasha didn't respond to that but but like yeah sure there are four more games whatever (laughs) it's no big deal (laughs) Uh, maybe maybe the reporter thought it's like best of seven or something I don't know anyway it it's it sucks Let, so bad to talk about Jorgis and Barcelona, right? Can we just be really short? I I can be really short. Uh, you know, during the season when Jorgis was winning, so many times I said that to me their offense at some point of the game is unwatchable, and I was really heavily criticized by Jorgis fans. How can you say that when Jorgis is winning games? But I, I, that was my honest opinion. Their offense sometimes be- becomes so static and basically unwatchable. It's just like we take the ball and we see what happens type of basketball, and that doesn't win you games in playoffs. But even that is not the biggest problem, in my opinion. First of all, Barca played almost a perfect game. They were so well prepared for the switch all defense. The ball movement and everything, they were creating shots from the very first possession, credit to Shadas. Uh You know that sometimes I'm not a huge fan of his basketball, but this time they really played beautiful team basketball and uh, role players made shots, Shanley, Kuric, everybody. It, it was a good free-flowing basketball with clear ideas how they want to attack. So Shadas definitely had his team fully prepared, but to me, the biggest disappointment talking about Jalgiris, that in the first half they were out-hustled. Of course, they're a less talented team. They're not a good offensive team. They're by far the worst offensive team from the eight clubs that are competing in the playoffs. So in that case, you cannot afford to be out-hustled by a more talented team. And that's what happened in the first half. That's how Barca built the early lead, and they were in control during the whole game, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, if Ralgiris wants to be in the series, first of all, they cannot 
concede 50 points in a half and they have to be the team that wants it more, hustles more, plays with physicality from the first minute. I don't expect them to all of a sudden become uh, offensive stars. Like They don't have that in them. They don't have that quality. At least they need Isaiah Taylor to be healthy to, to, to have more options. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking after game one. But you know, it's it's funny how some people said Barca is the most uh, best suited team for Jalgiris out of all these. Who said that? There were some people really? who were who were questioning. Do you have any names? Because I don't I know mean, those people. I, I don't keep names, but <laughs> okay, but you know, okay. I just heard this information uh, coming from some people's mouths. And how can you say this when Barca's uh, biggest, let's say, not maybe the biggest, but one of the best qualities is also the best Jalgiris quality. You know, the desire to win, the fighting spirit, the you know, hustling. Uh, Aggre denying ag aggressively the defense is not letting you play yeah. is the same thing that Jalgiris does. So this here they're even, and as we saw yesterday, Barca out-hustled them in the first half. We don't even need to talk about the offensive side. So, and with Jalgiris making so many atypical mistakes, as you said, you know, against the switching defense, uh, Sharas prepared them well for every situation. You know, I think this year uh, he has learned from the mistakes that happened in the last two playoff series. And they just have so many different options how to attack switch yeah. all. Obviously it helps that you don't have Nick Kalatis to, to, to you know, um, who wasn't a floor spacer. Yeah. And you have basically at all times, five guys <laughs> who can shoot. Even Thomas Tatoransky has a 50%. That's, that's the question that I had when you spoke about Kalaitis in the beginning of the podcast. So actually, Barca and Charles, they were really heavily criticized by making this, let's see, swap, you know, letting Nick Kalaitis away and bringing Thomas Tatoransky. But watching Kalaitis, I mean, and, and Barca's situation right now, do you think that they came out as a winner from, from this I situation? Mean, Satoransky turned out to be a better fit for, for Shara's system. But you know what I missed from Jalgers actually yesterday? You make Satoransky prove that he is a 50% shooter in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, give him the Nick treatment because you are, you know, you have to risk something. Yeah. You are the, you are not the better team in this matchup. Yeah. You have to risk somewhere. And there was one situation where they switched, they double Nick uh, Mirotic in, in the post, and Ulanovas is on the weak side. He has to take the first pass. The first pass goes to the corner, and there is Alex Sabrinas in the corner, and yeah. he is guarding Tomasz Satoransky. And he stays with Satoransky, you know, not even concentrated, or not even focused you know, on who is in the corner. Why not give Satoransky the Kladis treatment, see what happens, instead of letting the much better shooters uh, make wide open freeze. I did not see Jalgiris even trying to get to, to, you know, to risk with Satoransky as much as Bayern and Zenit were doing with Nick in the last years. Uh, this is one thing I would love to see. If yeah. he hits those threes, this is okay. But if what, if what if he misses three? What if he misses four? Maybe you stay in the game longer. Maybe the fourth quarter comes... The pressure hits because Barca needs to win at home both games. They are the favorites and maybe you have a chance to win if you are not making mis mistakes on defense and if you are not out-hustled by Barca. Yeah, so Instead, they gave shots to Shanley, for example. Uh, like Hayes goes to help 
in the yeah. low post uh, because Butkiewicz is with Mirotic and, and yeah. nobody's covering Shanley. I don't think he's the guy you want to see taking open spot-up shots. Definitely. He's not the guy. And also he had a great night. And that's a, another huge thing for Sharas. In game one, he was able to spread the minutes. He didn't overplay any of his key players. Everybody had their role in the game, had their part in the game. And the second unit actually was really good, even in the in the first quarter. Like, Rokas Jokubaitis was very solid as a floor general. Also, Jalgiris allowed him to drive to the left too many times and too easily, in my opinion. Jalgiris were allowing everything yesterday yeah. to Barcelona. Switch all didn't work. Uh, step out didn't work. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is the inexperience from Jalgiris yeah. players. There was one play when Abrines made a free from the top. Uh, Barca plays side pick and roll. Ignas Brasdekis is the low man in the other corner. He turns his head from Abrines to watch one, one, one second what is happening. Maybe he needs to help in the paint. And this is the moment where Abrines gets a, gets a pin down and comes to the middle. And that's been the Jalgiris set play since uh, Shornes Iskavichus was coaching Arturas Milaknis five years ago. Yeah, You could find clips every season in every game almost of that situation and as Abrines is coming up uh Jalgir's assistant coaches are showing to him go up go up go up because they know what's coming they 100% know what to expect in that situation but you know Ignas Brzezakis is a newcomer to the playoffs as most of the Jalgir's team and yesterday it showed so I, ho I hope to see a reaction uh, yeah and I, I'm just thinking for Jalgir's to even have a chance at snatching a game or two. It has to be a game in low 70s. There's no True. way in hell they beat Barca by scoring. It's not going to happen. Let's be realistic. Uh, so, yeah, and to me, honestly, it's still mind-boggling how Jalgiris is in the playoffs with such a assist-to-turnover ratio. It's it's something really unique, and it's a miracle what Kazis Maxvitas did uh, with his team. Even if they get swept, it's already a great season for Jalgiris. But obviously, we would like to have two sold outs. Of course. Which means they need to win uh, at least one game. Just, just one thing to add. I had this feeling that as much as missing three-pointers hurt Monaco against Maccabi, I had the same feeling with the Barca getting offensive rebounds. Uh, especially in the beginning of the game. And as you guys mentioned, you cannot allow Azjargis to be out-hustled by Barca. But the problem is that there were also some, I would say, I would call tactical things behind the crazy offensive rebound numbers. In the first quarter, for instance, when they built this double-digit lead, they got six, six offensive rebounds. Basically, all of them were converted into second-chance uh, points. And I was I was told a, a interesting thing because Jalgiris was playing pretty aggressive uh, pick and roll defense with usually big guy uh, coming high uh, to the ball handler. But the thing was that Barca was Barca's bigs. They were basically slipping all screens, and instead they were quickly rolling to the basket. So when you have two Jalgiris guys on the guard and you have a missed shots, you have a disadvantage protecting the uh, protecting the rim, protecting the board. And that's when Barca managed to get a lot of offensive rebounds and then to convert them into second chance points. So that's both teams. Uh, both teams used the slip screens yesterday. I don't know, like twenty five times to in in total. 
Jalgris actually got some nice three times they scored on 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 the slip action in the third quarter because you know the slip lets you play not from a static position one on one and they were trying to do this from from the start and obviously Barca did the same because they knew Jalgris is going to switch so you slip the screens a as well and when they switched you know there was a mismatch already under the basket so they got a couple offensive rebounds by that those slip screens created additional mismatches even when they were when Jalgris were hedging but but some also clips were just you know Mike Toby, Jan Vesely comes in, pushes Jalgiris guy under the basket, grabs the rebound. So part of this was Jalgiris defensive tactic. Part of this was the hustle that Reed has mentioned. Yeah, when you guys say yesterday, to me it still feels like it happened today. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. I'm sorry. Tuesday, I'm uh, like, Wednesday what was night. It, was it yesterday? Did they play yesterday? <laughs> I thought it was today. For, for the outro of the pod, I would say, hey, Ritus, let, let, let's give Ritus some break. Let's give, give him some yeah. sleep. But I just forgot the fact that now that you still have like two podcasts. Uh, yeah, and I still uh, have the Monaco, Monaco game in the evening. Damn. So I, I'm not sure. I, I might get a nap at some point, uh, at least uh, for. <laughs> During the hours. pod, during the other pods, I I don't know, man. <laughs> let's let's just see what happens. Let's see how the day goes. I have to apologize for my slow talking today and no, and, no, and my were, really were, poor English. No, no, nah, nah, I, I I do know when I'm speaking poor English and when I'm forgetting words. Uh, even though I I consider myself kind of fluent, but today is not my best day. But yeah, I mean, you were you were you could say you were uh, Monaco just struggled. And you will be better next time. <laughs> Out of 10, I would give myself a 4 for today's performance. Nah, you're being way too hard. <laughs> Come on, man. You're better, bro. You're it, better. There was just one moment where you forget forget what, what you wanted nah, to say. Nah, I think in the beginning, uh, when I was talking about Bucks and Budenholzer, I was just like making up... Uh, <laughs> making up. Grammar that doesn't really exist in English, okay. but yeah, whatever. We're really yeah, doing we're, we're not native speakers. We're doing our best. Uh, thanks for being on the pod so early. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of stuff happening on actually both basket news editions, both in, on Lithuanian and English one. So August is providing a lot of stuff, a lot of analysis on basketnews.lt. Uh, on basketnews.com, you can find a lot of exclusive content because we all uh, we have all uh, four. Uh, home courts covered by basket news journalists and for instance this morning you can read oh yeah the interview with Mishko Arnatovic that I managed to catch up in Monaco is already published so a lot of stuff over there just 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 keep uh, reading us just keep watching all the stuff we put on the YouTube uh, please press like button subscribe buttons because it also really helps us to grow and also, if you like what we're doing, join our BN Plus community on basketnews.com slash plus. So thank you, guys. Pleasure to see you again and see you soon on, on Monday already in Vilnius Studio. <laughs>